Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. Today's podcast is a recording of an event we recently did at the studio called Pitch Festivus. It was a really extraordinary event. We were able to bring almost our entire faculty together, and uh, the event was three hours long, but I'm going to share with you the first hour and a half during which uh, some of the finest writers that I know in fields ranging from screenwriting and TV writing all the way to playwriting and comics, some of the greatest writers I know, the people who teach for me, the people who teach at my school, shared some of their best techniques when it comes to pitching with our students. So if you missed the event, or even if you were there, Listening again will benefit you. Uh, There's so much wonderful wisdom here. So enjoy the podcast. Hello, everybody. Uh, I am so happy and delighted to be surrounded by so many of our wonderful community, so many wonderful writers. We have almost all of our faculty here, uh, which is just wonderful to see them all together and it's just great that at these crazy times that we can all still be together and connecting and creating. Um, Let's talk about pitching. So in a moment I'm going to introduce you to my whole team Um, and we're going to learn from all these wonderful writers. We're going to get a little bit of tidbits, uh, some tidbits about about, uh, pitching. Um, So Uh, The first person that I want to introduce, we're going to go in alphabetical order, but this worked out perfectly. The first person I want to introduce is my mom, Audrey Sussman. Um, And Audrey is, um, Audrey is not a screenwriter. Uh, Audrey is a hypnotherapist. Um, And Audrey does hypnosis for artists. Um, She does hypnosis for anxiety. Um, And the way that she works in our school is helping our students through the emotional side of screenwriting and through those roadblocks that, that we, that get in the way. Um, she's also a master of NLP, which is an incredibly valuable sales technique. In addition to being, uh, in addition to being, uh, an incredibly powerful therapeutic technique. Um, and so Audrey, mom, um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, just quickly about how hypnosis works and, and how people can 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 break through those blocks that they have about pitching when they feel anxious about it. So when when you're pitching or when you're writing and you feel like ugh, anxiety gets in the way of you being at your best or your creativity gets kind of stifled because you're anxious, those are called triggers that are set into the unconscious that you may not realize where they're coming from. Many times they come from childhood. So what we can do hypnotically is release, it almost like from the cellular level, you release some of that um, the trauma or whatever caused those triggers to get set in and you recreate a new pathway so that when you go to pitch, you almost step into calm, confidence and you're at your best. So whether that's, you know, when I've worked with some of the students privately, um, one of the guys had a big movie already came out. And when he came to me, it was because how am I going to recreate this? How am I going to do this again? They're paying me all this money. He was creating some negative self-talk of self-doubt. We got, we found out it was coming from earlier 
got rid of it. He's, he flowed with his writing. So anytime that you feel like you're getting stuck, there's usually a little younger you inside that's triggering you. So that hypnosis and neurolinguistics used in pitching, if you know how to use words and matching body language, many times it helps the person you're pitching to to feel like you're like them. And so there's a whole school of how to use body language, words, to make your pitch even that much more powerful. Will you teach us all a quick NLP matching thing that we could all do right now oh, yeah. that we could use next time we're in a pitch meeting? Absolutely. I was working with this guy and he was trying to get a grant and he, he didn't get it the first time and, his, and he begged his, the person, can I just pitch you one more time? And I didn't have time to teach him words and neurolinguistics and hypnosis. I said, okay, all I want you to do is match the body, whatever that person does, I want you to match it. So it looks like this. So I'll finish the story. So when the guy said, you're, he slammed the table with his hand and you're not going to get this, the guy went, I absolutely understand what you're saying. And one of the reasons why I feel this is so important, and now he felt the guy kind of stand, moving forward, so he kind of leaned forward a little bit and he stopped talking. Then all of a sudden he saw the guy move back. When he saw that, he realized he was losing him. So he changed his tactic until the guy leaned forward again. So sometimes just mirroring or matching the body language is a really easy thing to do. If you notice, I speak with my hands. So if you wanted to create rapport with me, you're not going to move them like this, but you might want to use your hands a little bit to create rapport. So if you're speaking to someone pitching, and they're a hand mover, you might want to notice what they're doing with their hand. And you might want to change your body position so that you're facing them, mirroring, mirror image. So th is that a good tip? I think it's a great tip. And there was a question about, does this work on Zoom? Oh yeah, I work with people, I work with people all over the United States. And now all my clients are on Zoom, but even before for seven years, we've been on Zoom. And I've been um, working with them on Zoom, teaching them how to do this, and it works. Awesome. Thank you so much. Sure. Um, so next, I have Christian Lybrook. Um, Christian, Christian came to me um, originally on, we used to do retreats uh, back when people could be together. Uh, and uh, we did a retreat in Costa Rica, and um, Phil Gilpin, who's the guy who runs uh, ITV Fest, which is now Catalyst, called me up and he said, there's this incredible writer and he can't afford to come to your retreat, but you got to bring him. And, um, and it took me like two minutes knowing Christian to understand why Philip believed in him to that degree. And it's been so beautiful to watch Christian blossom as a screenwriter and, and, uh, and into an extraordinary teacher. Uh, Christian teaches ProTrack for us. And, and so Christian, um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about uh, how you work with students at the studio and, and how you think about pitching. Awesome. Well, uh, 
First of all, thanks for the great intro and welcome everybody. I'm excited to see some familiar faces here as well as lots of new ones. Uh, as Jake mentioned, my name is Christian Leibrick. I'm one of the ProTrack mentors at the studio and I work with writers one-on-one -on -one, and it's really kind of this effort to really dig into your story, to figure out what is the best way to render your story on the page. Um, a lot of times we're in workshop environments and people are giving us feedback and what they're saying is, I think your movie should be this one. And you're like, well, that's great, but that's not the movie I want to write. So my job is to figure out, oh, that's the movie you want to write. And I work really intensely with writers one-on-one. -on -one. So I work with writers who are working on features, who are working on TV projects. And really, I run uh, the gamut from comedy, drama, thriller, horror, sci-fi. Um, and, and I love, love, love working with writers. And that really brings me to the segue of pitching. Because that same emotion that I'm able to bring to sessions with writers, the same emotion I need to bring for my projects when I come into the room to pitch. And the God's honest truth is this, is that most writers hate pitching. It's not in us. That's why we write, right? Otherwise, we'd be actors. And we get nervous and blah, blah, blah. But you can't fake emotion. And so if you can bring that into the room, you're off already off to a running start. So that's, that's probably the one thing I would get to. What I love about that, you, you notice what you've heard from both Audrey and from Christian now. So much of whether your pitch is successful or not is actually not dependent on the words, right? It's dependent on the rapport. It's dependent upon the emotion that you bring, bringing yourself in, coming in open. Um, and, uh, and, and it's such a valuable lesson because we, we're writers. So, so we get hung up on the words, right? And then we get anxious because we start to feel like, oh my God, pitching, that's like what salespeople do. Like, that's not me. But if you remember, as Christian's pointing out, that you love this project, right? Like you're doing this because you're the only person in the world crazy enough to write this, right? Because you need it that bad. And if you bring that kind of energy what happens is people end up picking the, up the phone for you like Philip did for Christian. Uh, people end up picking up the phone because they want to help you, because uh, they want to fight for you, because they feel that passion and, and, and everybody wants to feel that passion. So thank you so much for, for sharing that with us, Christian. Um, next up, I have Jerry Prezigian. Uh, Jerry is a multiple Emmy Award winner. He was a showrunner. On, uh, on Married with Children, The Jeffersons, The Golden Girls. He was a writer on Frasier, The Nanny. If it was a hit show in the 80s or 90s, Jerry was running it or writing on it. He's also not only the funniest guy I know, uh, but he's also one of the kindest people I know. Um, and a, a man who truly has no ego, who has accomplished so much. And, you know, his... I just so admire it of him. His, his love for his students is just such a beautiful thing to watch. So thank you, Jerry. I'd love for you to talk about, about what you do at the studio and, um, and, and how you think about pitching. Um, well, well, we'll see if I love any of these knuckleheads tonight. You never know. So I don't know. But um, um, what, what, what we do in, in my classes that I think um, um, I don't know if the word is proudest of, but that's most useful to the students is that we run our sessions, our group sessions, exactly the way that a writer's room is run. 
So it's a democracy. If it's a three-hour class, it's a democracy for two hours and 50 minutes, and then it's a dictatorship for the last 10 minutes because somebody has to decide which way the story is going to go or which joke to use or which line to feed the main character. So, so by doing what you will be doing when you're actually working on a series, um, my world is TV. I don't know the feature world. My world is TV. So by doing what you will be doing on a, 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 a series, um, it demythologizes the process. Um, I was so scared when I got to Hollywood thinking everybody is smarter than me and knows more than me and oh my goodness. And, and then I discovered that it's a grind and it's hard and it's difficult and it's challenging for everybody. So, so demythologizing and working the way they work in Hollywood are what um, happens in, our, in, in, in my rooms. And how do you think about pitching? Well, um, I agree with Christian that writers, if, if they liked pitching, they would either be salesmen or actors. So we hate pitching, but it has to be done. And um, um, I don't know if I entirely agree with the statement that you can't fake passion because so many of us, I've faked passion many times. I mean, I, in, in my pitches, I would put in my ad libs in the margin, like to pretend like I just thought of it on the spot, but it was rehearsed for days. So I don't know if that's good advice or bad advice, but you should absolutely um, um, be passionate, whether it's fake passion or real passion, you should absolutely be passionate. Um, I thought of something funny when Audrey was talking, what if the, 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 the network person or the, or the person you're pitching to just found out before you came in the room that his chair was broken. So all these movements that you're interpreting as psychological are just because his chair is broken and wobbling and he's... But yes, care, 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 either real care or fake care. And, um, um, and be clear and be brief. Those, those yeah. are brief is such a good note. Um, you know, Pete, we talk about all the time like this, this idea of elevator pitches, right? Um, and, you know, the elevator pitch doesn't actually exist, right? You're never going to get locked in an elevator with Martin Scorsese and have to get the whole pitch out before you hit floor eight, right? Like life doesn't actually work that way. You might get locked in an elevator with Martin Scorsese. In fact, I gave this lecture and one of my students did. Um, but, but if you're pitching well, you don't have to get the whole pitch out before he breaches floor eight because he's going to want to hear the rest. Um, but remembering that the first part of your pitch is just designed to open the door, right? Remembering to breathe, um, remembering to keep it clear and concise and not to allow yourself to prattle on and on and on makes it a lot more likely that the person's going to say, hey, tell me more about that. Oh, what happens next? Oh, how does that work? And so... Uh, thinking about your pitch is a way of opening that door. I'd also love to share, um, when I put my teachers through hell before I hire them, um, and uh, during Jerry's interview, uh, he was the only teacher who didn't have to go through hell because he said one thing and I knew that I was going to work with him. Because uh, I asked him, what piece of advice would you give a comedy writer? And he said, First write it true, then make it funny. And, 
And I'll never forget that piece of advice. I thought it was, it was such a, a brilliant piece of wisdom. Realizing that like you can find the humor in anything, you can add the humor to, to anything. And um, uh, maybe Karen will tell the story, but I remember when I, I pushed Karen to take Jerry's class and, and she said, but, but Jake, I, I'm, I'm not funny. And, and of course, Karen turns out to be hilarious. Um, but but realizing that that comedy, like anything else, is is a skill. It's a layer that that you add. It's a it's a tool that you that you can develop. Um, I was I was always really moved by that piece of advice that that Jerry gave. Um, okay, I thought of one more a piece of pitching advice, Jake. Hit it. Bring a, a suitcase filled with money or drugs and just bribe, <laughs> just bribe. <laughs> Another approach. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so next up, I have Karen Parton Wells. Hi. Uh, um, yeah, I was not funny. I I am funny, but I'm only funny when I'm awkward. Like I make it awkward. I'm not like meaning to be funny. So Jerry definitely did teach me how to do structure and then a button up joke and then how to put those jokes in there throughout for sure. Like I did not know how to be funny until I took Jerry's class. So I highly recommend his class. Well, it's so amazing. Um, you know, Karen was always a brilliant writer. Um, you know, Karen came up through our program. And um, what was so amazing that came out of that is there was a change in the tone of Karen's writing. And Karen started writing these incredibly funny scripts about the saddest topics. Um, and I, she has this piece called Overdue that is one of the most devastating TV dramas I've read. Uh, which is about uh, a mom trying to have uh, a baby and failing. And she works at uh, Planned Parenthood. So like, everybody in the world can have a baby but her. And it's so funny. And it's so, so sad. And one of the really interesting things about Karen is every time she figures out who she is, she reinvents herself in a brilliant way. Uh, I remember Karen saying, you know what, Jake, I want to write procedurals. And for like a year, crunching away, just churning out procedural after procedural after procedural. And you know what, Jake, I'm writing a goofy action comedy um, like uh, uh, like uh, Romancing the Stone, you know, that, that, and, and, and I, I so admire that. And, you know, especially when we start to, when we think about pitching ourselves. Right. It's easy to kind of put yourself in a pigeonhole and think, well, I just do this. Right. Um, but Karen is like the Picasso of, of screenwriters. Right. <laughs> yeah, every time she figures something out, she's trying to figure something new out. And so, Karen, I'd love for you to talk uh, about uh, Karen teaches uh, uh, ProTrack and, and workshops for the studio. And I'd love for you to talk about a little bit of how you work with your students and, and, and a, a piece of pitching advice from you. Yeah, I think with the students, we it's mostly listening. I mean, a lot of it is listening and seeing what they are trying to say, like really helping them. Same thing that Christian said, like helping them try to find the story that they are trying to tell. Um, and I, I work a lot with structure. So I really, I personally just focus a lot on that A to Z journey and tracking the wants. And so, cause that's how your audience connects. It can be the most, like the coolest premise, but if we are not following a character's wants, if we don't understand their wants or why they want it or how they're going about getting it, 
you know, have you ever watched a movie and you're like, I really liked it, but I just couldn't connect to it. Well, that's why is there weren't active wants. So it might be a really cool premise, but there wasn't an active structure. So personally, I pushed my students really hard to have structure, which is why I, I studied procedurals. It wasn't necessarily, I did love Bones. I love Bones. I could watch Bones till like, that could be the only show I could watch till for the rest of my life. But, you know, I think it was just really trying to learn structure from procedurals because they are very clear, both with an active structure and character development. They have a very obvious, like, Bones follows the scientific method and her partner follows his gut. So it's very easy to understand where things are coming from in those shows. Um, so I push a lot on structure, but pro track is different, like for everybody and every, every single, I almost said episode, every single meeting is different, really. Like you can bring your web series, people sometimes bring their short film and I can give them editing because I went to NYU film school. So I can kind of get into all the different aspects, whether it's the story of your play or your web series or your feature or your TV series. Um, I've even worked with novelists before, so it's kind of whatever you want your hour to be, basically, is, is ProTrek. Um, but as far as pitching goes, uh, I think people focus too much on the log line. So you write this really academic thing down, and it sounds great. And in writing, it is great. But talking, it's, it's just very intellectual. I remember teaching at, at Catalyst Fest with Steve Moulton. We were both teaching pit pitching. And he's a Columbia professor, so... It, these pitches people would come from his training with these like incredibly worded I don't even know these words like, pitches and I would be like great now pitch to the cast of Broad City or Workaholics because that's me like I, I don't know what you're talking about so you have to kind of also figure out who you are and how you speak like do you speak more like a Steve Moulton or do you speak like me and it's it's not necessarily that there's a right or wrong, but it's how do you want to present your story? Um, but back to the logline thing. There's premise and there's logline and there's synopsis and people use them interchangeably, but they're not the same thing. Premise is just what is the show about? And that's really what a pitch is, unless it's you've gotten past the elevator and you're in the room and then you're telling them the story of your episode or even of your series or, or movie. But if you look at something like The Boys on Amazon, the premise is just that it's about evil superheroes. It's regular humans that were given superhero powers who didn't have any like control over themselves. So they just became horrible people. Like they just aren't nice people. That's the premise. And that's kind of what the start of your pitch can be. And then if they're into it, you can kind of be like, all right, so the log line is, Two men who have lost the love of their lives, two of these evil superheroes team up to take them down. And everyone in the world is against them because the superheroes are the heroes, right? But not in the boys. In the superheroes, they're the villains. It's this great, if you haven't seen it, it's really great. It's also very violent. So if you don't like violence, just don't watch it. But um, the premise is, is just about evil superheroes. But the log line is, you know, these two guys try to go and up against the most beloved people in the world <laughs> and their lives fall apart. They, they're, they're, they're completely like arrested and go into hiding and they lose more people. And what is it worth it? Like how much can they lose to achieve their goal to kill all these superheroes? And then if you get into the synopsis, you can get further into the specifics of these two men. 
One of them lost his girlfriend to the fastest man on earth. The fastest man on earth was running and she was like leaning off a sidewalk and he ran through her and she exploded. And so he's this like bumbling kind of college boy who has no idea what to do. And he teams up with this like really hardened man who his only goal is to kill all the superheroes. And so that college boy gets more and more hard and evil and what's he willing to do. And then the other man has to kind of give up his, his goal when he, I don't want to ruin it. So, but that you, you can ruin it in a, in a pitch. You can ruin it for uh, your producers. And in fact, you should. Yes. Always ruin it. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, this is a, a guilty secret, but, but I love the show Project Runway um, <laughs> because it's a show about process, right? And in the final, the final act, right? Four designers get to make their whole wardrobe, right? And one idiot designer always hides their best pieces because they want to wow the judge at Fashion Week. And that's always the one that doesn't get to go to Fashion Week. Um, and if you just think about Fashion Week and you remember, if your pitch doesn't land, you're definitely not, they're definitely not reading the script. So there will be nothing to disappoint them with. Um, but if your script is really ready to be pitched, if your script is actually that good, then there's going to be even more in there than the wonderful trick ending that you gave in your pitch. There's going to be a, levels of depth and complexity or humor that, that they never even saw coming. So I always say, save your best for first, like get your very best stuff out there. Um, there was something else that you said. There was so you guys actually watched Karen uh, grow her pitch. Did you see how she started simple? And then if you're still interested, she's got the next level. And if you're still interested, she's got the next level. Um, and that's a, that's a real talent and a real skill, knowing how to kind of effortlessly move through different le levels of detail. Um, but the truth is, if Karen started with the synopsis, she might have lost you all. Um, it's actually that process of kind of gentling people in, right, that allows us to connect and get invested and, and want more. Yeah. Uh, the third thing Karen said that I really loved is be yourself, right? Like not everybody is your producer, right? Don't try to be who you think they want you to be. Be yourself and, and find your people because your people are going to be the champions of your work. If you're shy, go pitch shy, if you're loud, go pitch loud. If you're the crazy person who does something crazy, don't do something too crazy, but go pitch crazy. Um, you want to be yourself, and then you want to find the people who are like you. Um, that said, um, you know, one of the differences that I think about between a verbal pitch and a logline is I, I've seen so many talented writers, you know, do one of these. When a man finds out that he is, has terminal cancer, right? And, and what ends up happening is when you hear a rehearsed pitch, it sends you a subconscious message that this is not for you. It sends you a subconscious message that this person is hawking the same crap everywhere around town, just trying to sell it, right? It depersonalizes your pitch. Um, Jerry was talking about writing little ad libs in the margins right? Uh, to create that feeling. 
this is special. This is for you. And one of my tricks with this is I try to pitch my script hundreds of times to hundreds of people. In fact, in the final, in the final part of this class, uh, of, this, of this event, you guys will all get to pitch your script at least five times. Um, and I like to pitch my script a lot. And I always try to pitch it differently to everyone I talk to. And what that does is it keeps me fresh and it keeps me alive, but it also helps me try things when the stakes are low, right? When I go, oh, wow, never, ever, ever pitch it like that. Or do pitch it like that to Karen, but don't pitch it like that to a Christian, right? Uh, I, learn, I learn the different ways that work and the different combinations. And then when I'm in the room, instead of trying to remember my pitch, I can make eye contact. I can talk to them. If they seem interested, I can go deeper. If they seem bored, I can change it up. So remembering that your verbal pitch is different than your written pitch. It's this fluid thing that happens in a dialogue, just like when you're talking to your friends. You know, if you came to your friend with a written log line, how was your weekend? When a man got locked in a cabin, right, <laughs> your friend would be looking at you like you're an alien. Um, but a lot of us make this mistake when we get into pitch meetings. And then we, we end up breaking rapport when we could be actually building it. So thank you, Karen, for, for all that wonderful. Yeah, that, the last thing I'll, I know we've we got to move on. The last thing I meant, I meant to say was don't memorize your pitch. Um, I did that for an HBO pitch and um, I wasn't sleeping. I was like falling asleep, saying it to myself. I was so, so, so stressed out that I was going to forget a part of it. And then they pushed the pitch. They pushed the meeting. And then guess what? They pushed it again. <laughs> so by the time they were like, hey, can you do it tomorrow? So I was just like, hey, what's up, guys? Like, it, it was like there was no memorization. And it was great. It was just like this really low-key conversation about me and about my writing. <laughs> it was so much easier. I mean, and I've never memorized anything ever since. <laughs> just don't memorize it. Because it's not natural. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. And it makes you nervous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Karen. Yeah. All right, next up, we have Keaton Lee. Keaton also came up through our program. Um, Keaton, so a wonderful writer named Nadia Tabara, uh, who wonderfully gifted writer in my original master class 15 years ago, something like that, mm -hmm. um, came up to me and said, I just met young me and you're letting her into your master class. And I was like, no, Nadia, no, I'm not. Um, and then I met Keaton. Um, who I think was 18 years old at the time, uh, something like that. And um, turned out to be such an incredible dynamo of a writer. Um, Keaton writes scripts that are so funny that just make you laugh about, laugh your ass off about like truly disturbing ideas. Um, and yet she's also, she's, she's able to kind of put, take these scripts that are like so wrong and make them so funny and accessible and commercial. Um, but she's also writes these really beautiful, uh, beautiful dramas, um, true life stories. And if you happen to be into witches, she's also your gal. Um, uh, and Keaton, Keaton is like, like a whisper of structure. You know, uh, when I think Karen is like the person 
who is going to break down 52 scripts tonight um, while watching television. And um, Keaton is the person who's going to kind of gently whisper into your ear that one thing. Um, And it makes sense that they also write together sometimes. (laughs) Um, So uh, Keaton has a movie that is stuck in that production limbo, uh, uh, but it will come out eventually is starring Margot Robbie. It's called Fool's Day. It may be the funniest script I've ever read. Um, And she's a wonderful mentor. So I'd love Keaton, if you could talk a little bit about uh, what you do here at the studio and and, uh, some advice about pitching. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you for that intro, Jake. That was very, very kind and generous. Um, So here at the studio, I teach ProTrack. I also have a Tuesday night workshop because I try to take like the most collaborative approach to writing possible. I tend to say like I work with writers as opposed to I'm a teacher and I have students because I like for everything to be a conversation. Ultimately, this is your script. It's your story. You are going to make the final choice. So I want you to know, I really want everyone to know the rules of screenwriting and kind of the stodgy boxes we feel we have to stay inside of. I want everyone to know the rules so that they know when they're breaking them. And I think anytime you're breaking a rule, it should be a conscious choice. So those are things that are kind of important to me that we'll go over when we work together. But I'm also, I'm very much a character writer. So the reason I write a lot of sort of uh, wild stories is because I, I met and experienced a lot of really wild, interesting, nuanced people in my life. And that's where I like to start. And then from there, I like to think what is the most ironic possible thing that could happen to that person. And that's the same approach I take to pitching. I think when you walk into a room and you're pitching, you have to make that connection with the person first, right? You're going to hear that a few times throughout the night. It is important to start with, why did I want to write this? What is it in me? What is the thing that I commonly write about, right? I saw someone earlier, this is a funny, this kind of a, a strange, it was a comment from a long time ago, but someone commented in the chat that they describe themselves as genre agnostic when they pitch. And I think that's, that's great, but you don't actually have to lock yourself into one genre. What you do need to do is find a common theme or a common topic of exploration so you know how to pitch yourself as a writer. I always say I write about women who are afraid to die. I write comedies about women who are afraid to die, right? And I am very afraid to die. And that is a dark thing, so I have to laugh at it, right? And I can usually take that little piece of myself and I can transition into, and this is my main character and she she shares this fear. So I trapped her wherever, in a school, in a grocery store. I made her the worst person in the world and trapped her in a grocery store with an active shooter, right? Like you can do anything if you know your character. You can put them in any situation and that's how you get into these like wild predicaments. So I tend to start with my connection, why I wrote it, what I like to write about, and then use that to talk about the character. Plot is going to actually, and I know this sounds wild, but plot is kind of the enemy of selling the story. Plot, everyone's gonna get lost in the weeds of your plot. We have to care about who all of this is happening to. So my recommendation is to do that, do that personal connection. Audrey had really great suggestions, right? Kind of figuring out what the person's personality is, really listening, mirroring some of what they do. I tend to, my, my tactic, and maybe this sounds cheesy, I think we all have like a soft spot for where we grew up or a very big aversion to it sometimes, right? But it's going to elicit some kind of strong reaction one way or another. And I find that finding out where someone is from and what their home was like and what their childhood was like, it puts you in a little bit of like a nostalgic place and it's a good way to connect to them. I've also watched my writing partner and this is going to sound silly as well. I'm like pitching, you know, I'm painting with a broad stroke here, but um, uh, fucking football. 
man, like you're pitching a lot of times <laughs> to men. And I've watched my writing partner, who's also a man, go into so many meetings where I've been really nervous, right? And immediately trying to like spout our log line, like here's what's going on. And he's been like, oh, you a Jets guy? And they immediately like are getting on like a house on fire. So I think it's about easing into like, we connect, you connect to my character. Here's all the stuff that happens to my character, right? And then like Jake said, like Jerry said, you want to be clear, you want to be brief, and then you want to get out of it. <laughs> I have to say, I disagree with, with Karen a little bit about the memorizing of pitches. And it's like, we're all going to have different tactics here, right? Jerry, Jerry can fake passion for Christian. It has to be organic. Karen hates to memorize a pitch. I, it's important to know yourself is, is where I'm going with this because I get really flustered. I have to have something to hang my hat on. So I do memorize. I memorize my pitch. I say it a few different ways. And then I pretend like I didn't. That's an important thing. Pretend like you didn't memorize that pitch. That's an important piece of the puzzle though. Oh, and lastly, comps. You want your comps. You want your comparisons. I saw that in the chat as well. So um, for comparisons, right? You want this meets this. You want to say this is Die Hard meets Mean Girls, right? And ideally, I mean, those are two, those are two classics, right? They're pretty iconic, so I just I pulled them out. But you actually want your your comparisons, and this is something I get into trouble with a lot. You want your comparisons to be really recent. I grew up in like a, a goofy house. We didn't have cable, so like a lot of my references are like weird '90s movies. I'm like Sister Act two meets Fried Green Tomatoes, and everyone's like, no one wants that. So you have to keep your comparisons. You have to keep it last 10 years. It has to be something that made the studio money. It cannot be something they lost money on as great as the movie was. You want to pitch something that made money or you want to use a comparison that made money and point to that. And I think, I think those are all of the things I really wanted to hit. You do want to get to your logline. You don't want to come out of the gate with it. That is something I've realized. A lot of this is trial and error, right? Like it's, um, I've done a lot of like, here is my hook right away. And then gotten like, okay, but that's your logline. And I was like, oh, you don't, you don't want that? So that was, that really threw me off. And the thing is, they just want to be eased into it, right? And I think you've heard a lot of us reiterate that. Connect with the person, get them to connect with the character or something in the story. Mm -hmm. I'm typically coming from a place of character. You, you might come from a place of theme. You might come from a really intricate world, right? And that's okay too. You just have to think, where, where's your in? What is the thing you want to lead with? And then connect to the person in a way that like tangentially is connected to that, to that thing. So you can ease it as a segue into your pitch. And then I would say, lastly, you know, try and try and make it feel. This is something I obviously learned from Jake. Like you said, I've been here since I was 18. Everything I'm saying, I pretty much learned from Jake. Um, but the last thing is you, you want to make the pitch feel like the genre, right? So if you're pitching a comedy and I'm a dark comedy writer, I, I want them laughing. If they're not laughing, I'm probably in trouble. Right. And if it's a drama, you probably want that quiet moment of sincerity between the two of you. So it's like and when and uh, when when you get to yes or when you get to a good place, stop, stop, get out of there, run. Right. So I think like that's really uh, I'm an easily flustered person, unfortunately, I have anxiety. I think a lot of writers do. So know yourself. Right. Know what's going to trigger you. Know what's going to throw you off. Know what's going to get you flustered so you can anticipate something. The logline I like to use is an anchor. I can come back to it. I think that's, I think that's what I got. I think that's <laughs> fabulous. Um, a couple of things you said that, that I thought were really great. And, and the first thing is all pitching is personal. And, you know, so many writers go into the room like a used car salesman, right? Like, I 
have something to sell. Or like, you're a producer, you're a producer. Can we listen to my pitch, right? And we come in like, and we feel crappy, right? Like, like we feel the inauthenticity in ourselves, right? We feel the desperation. So you can only imagine what they're feeling. Um, whereas if you come into the room and do something different than everybody else is doing and don't just try to instantly sell somebody and don't try to cram something down somebody's throat, but instead actually just try to connect with somebody, actually share something true about yourself, right? And I love what you said that it could be world. It could be a true life story. It could be, it could be anything. Um, but that's so different than leading with the pitch. Um, if you're actually in a real producer's meeting, there's also the benefit of being able to say like, hey, what are you into? You know, I saw you made this and this and this. I really loved what you did with this. Are you looking for something similar? Or are you looking to, to branch out into something new? And sometimes you can find out exactly what they want you to pitch um, and just pitch them that. So I love the idea of first connecting with them, then connecting them to your story. And getting to a yes and getting out, what a great, what a great piece of advice. Um, I'd love to also jump in on the, on the comps idea. Because um, one of the tricks that I use, I try to get the producer to tell me the comp. That's how I know that my pitch is really working. When the producer goes, oh my God, it's Sister Act 2 meets Die Hard, right? That's, that's when I know, okay, I nailed it right? When, when they say that the comp, um, I don't say the comp unless I see that they're not getting it. Um, and if I have one of those pitches where they don't say the comp, I'm going to look at that pitch later. I'm going to go, okay, what did I miss? How is it not coming through? Because if your comp is really good, right, they're going to get it and you're, you're going to see that light bulb go off. And what I like about that, even though a lot of people disagree with me on this, um, and everybody has their own style. But what I like about that is I don't like, I think producers are trained to say no. Uh, I think, you know, I remember when I was a producer, my boss was so good at saying no, that people left thinking he said yes. Um, <laughs> you know, I see people leave his office so happy, but I heard what he said. I was like, oh, that's a no. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that, that, that I learned is that if I just go into a room and do exactly what everybody else is doing, I'm putting my producer in their comfort zone of, okay, I'm going to say no, I'm going to listen, I'm going to say no. Whereas if I go in and build a personal connection, even if they say no to my project, they're still going to be interested in me, right? They're still going to be curious. They're still going to be open. Maybe they'll help me get in touch with somebody else. Maybe they'll help me connect to the right person. Maybe they'll give me some feedback. Maybe they'll become a mentor. So, um, so I, I, really, I really loved all the things you said. And I also love that you notice that we have a ton of successful writers that you're meeting right now. And notice that they all have their own style. And so your job is not to find a formula of exactly how you're going to do it. Your job is to take the best of, of what you hear and say, okay, how does this bounce off of me? And how does this fit with who I want to be? Um, beautiful. Next up, uh, we have my fiance, Lacey Daigle. Uh, Lacey is the creative director of the studio. If 
you like our background, Lacey made that. If you like our website, Lacey made that. If you like anything visual about the studio, Lacey made that. If you like our workshop program, Lacey invented that. Um, <laughs> Lacey is the creative force behind what we do. And I'm, I'm so lucky to have her not only as my creative director, but also as my fiance. Um, and Lacey also has a, a, a wonderful coaching practice. Um, so Lacey works with artists uh, as a coach. Um, she helps artists get past their internal blocks. She helps artists make plans uh, and keep them. She helps artists grow into their professional career. And she has a long history of doing this at the very top of her industry uh, as an executive at CBS, working directly with the CEO on many projects um, and uh, fortunately escaping without being sexually harassed, um, but uh, doing incredible, incredible work uh, for, for CBS. She's heard hundreds of pitches. She's given hundreds of pitches to, to people at the very top of their industry. And so Lacey, I would love for you to talk about what you do, uh, what's coming up in the new year with you at the studio and how you think about pitching. Well, I think I, I was coming to it with two hats. Um, the, the coaching side makes me think of pitching as just one of the world's greatest life skills. Um, and what you can learn through the coaching process and a lot of what, what I do is help you get a clearer understanding of your authentic self. And a lot of that can be through values work, um, getting in touch with your artistic side, uh, freeing your mind of the clutter, knowing what to do when negative self-talk comes up and how to handle that. Um, and you're pitching people all the time. You know, uh, that rapport that everyone is talking about, that Audrey is talking about. You know, that's a really important thing, a really important thing in, in life. Uh, there are times, let's say, you know, at the network where I had to pitch and be in the room to a face. <laughs> you know, you got nothing. You're getting nothing. And it's literally like, get out of my office as fast as you can. And you have to give an idea, right? So you can have that. You can have someone who's laid back in their chair or they're a comedy guy and you just say one word, mustache, and that's it, and you're off to the races. So reading that room is so important and that is just so valuable in life because I really think you know how to read the room in a way when you can kind of read yourself. I think the closer you can get to really clarifying what that is and not like what that is for you 10 years ago, five years ago, like what that is for you right now. Like where are you in your artistic journey? Where are you with this particular project that you want to get out there um, and not think of the process as something so precious because there are going to be so many times where you aren't going to do it well. You're going to fall on your face or you're just going to get somebody in a bad day. They're cranky. You know, they don't want to hear it. They just heard 50 pitches. You're the last one of the day. Um, but you can, you know, take comfort in the fact that life, God willing, is a process. It's not something that you solve in any one instant. It's not something that you can even get ahead of sometimes or outthink. So I think like with Keen and Karen, everyone was kind of saying, you can set it and forget it. 
you want to do the prep work. You want to be ready. You can't not be ready in these rooms. You really cannot not be ready. But that's what you're doing. And that's what you're doing now. How ready? That just depends how kind of far along you are. And wherever you are is okay. And I think that's like part of the important thing when you're thinking of yourself, not only as a writer, but as an artist out in the world, is to just consider that where I am now is great. And I have stuff I can learn and to be receptive to that. And if you're given the opportunity to listen in those meetings, you might get one nugget. You might get a piece of rapport. You might get the awesome picture of the from the Jets sidelines right there where you can talk about it. You might be able to talk about somebody's there's the president of entertainment has a in CBS has a picture. <laughs> we don't know who's I think it's him from literally. He's like, I don't know. He's in like fourth grade and he's like. It is not a new picture. He's old. And you can talk about that, but it's like ridiculous, right? I'm like, who's in that picture? Like, just be a human being. These are human beings. And I think when I've heard pitches before, I don't come out of that room going, well, I come into the room going, is this going to work for what I need? Is this, is this going to, I have to have a value principle in mind. I have to think, is this going to actually, what's, what's the value of the project? And does this speak to the value of, you know, what we need? Um, but beyond that, I'm turning to my partner, whoever it is out the room and I'm going, my God, I love Mike. Damn it. Like he's, I want to work with him because you're going to be in the trenches with these people. And I need to feel a sense of confidence because I have to turn to the guy who's like this, who's going to be emotionless or whatever it is. And I have to sell Mike. So just kind of that idea that, you know, being yourself, if you can disarm a person, if that, that might be your knack, it might not be your knack. So how do you connect with people in life? And I just think authenticity, your authentic self, it makes an authentic connection almost every single time. And then start to learn some techniques and some skills. And that's something like I could do, you know, to help you if you need it, is what are some skills to kind of go into that room feeling the set it and forget it? You know, uh, Keaton talks about getting flustered. There are times I'm in a room and I'm flustered. So what happens? How do you draw awareness to that? How do you bring your conscious awareness back to the moment? Okay, I'm actually not present. I'm actually not in the present moment. I'm not with Bobby, the producer right now. I'm in my head. So let's create a little mini toolkit, you know, for you. So when you're in your head, like, what do you do? And then if you stay in your head and you fuck it up, oh, well, like, you know, so then what do you do? Um, you just are going to have many, many, many opportunities to do this. And I guess I think the last thing I'll say is I kind of uh, pitch my idea. So before I'm going to go into a room with another person that I really need to sell the idea to, I like to pitch to, I call them floaters, like find your floaters. They're in, I was at CBS. So I was in the hallways or I was at Colbert. Or I was over here. I was over here. Find your floaters at the water cooler or find now it would be find your floaters online, find your floaters in I wouldn't say Facebook. You can, you can float, right? You know, if you're comfortable talking to your mom, talk to your mom. She doesn't know shit about this. But practice getting it into your bones and out of your body and float it to them. And then, then up the ante and float to the next person. And then all of a sudden, you know what? Maybe float to the person that reports to the person if you have that opportunity, you know, port to the person who reports to that other person or who might know that person or who already had a meeting with them. Float it to them. And take that feedback with a grain of salt. Some of it is more about the exercise and the process 
of actually getting into your body and out. And the way I become comfortable is by doing the work and doing the homework. So I write really extensive treatments uh, if I'm going to pitch something and I know the project, you know, front and back. And I also kind of know what they're looking for. So I want to find out all that I can about them. And I want to find out all that I can about me. And I think that combination can really, I think I've been the most successful that way. That's all I can say. Will you talk briefly? I, I, I want to hear about coaching, but you're also going to be teaching next year a tarot for writers class. Can you talk about what that is and how that works? Yes, we're finally doing it. It's been every year. I've had the poster. I've never had enough time of, you know, making the backgrounds, doing this. Um, we have such a rock star team um, that I'm actually going to be able to do it this year uh, for the school. I've done it at festivals and stuff. But um, it's it's basically we'll be using the cards as kind of like a gateway to your subconscious. So we can be using the cards for your character. We can use the cards to build structure for your project. Um, we'll create different layouts and uh, what tarot kind of does is it helps you kind of, it's like looking at a painting in a museum. It helps you kind of bypass what's going on up here and gets into what's going on down here. And it's incredible how fast that goes. And you just generate pages after pages. So we'll do a lot of um, exploratory writing and kind of crystallizing that. And then also look at that and seeing how that might um, be a, a parallel to maybe things that are happening in your own life as an artist. I also loved what you said, Lacey, about pitching floaters. Uh, one of my, I, I used to, when I lived in Los Angeles, there was a wonderful dive sports bar called Sports Harbor. And um, I, was, uh, I was working on this project called The Seduction of Hillary Rodham. And I was really struggling with it. Um, it was written by a super right wing author. And he had, he had started it as like a slam piece on Hillary Clinton. And um, but in the writing of it, he'd kind of fallen in love with Hillary, um, but he'd also kind of, but he hated Bill and he'd kind of cast her in this very, very traditional like woman whose husband doesn't love her role. And, um, and I was, I was really struggling with the project because I, I didn't choose to pitch this project. It was assigned to me. And I was like, how do I write this project without betraying everything I believe in the world and, and in a way that, that, that can still be authentic, but also true to the, the book. And I was really struggling. So I did what every writer does, which was I, I tried to procrastinate. So I went to Sports Harbor and um, Sports Harbor was a wonderful place where you could get drunk at noon in the afternoon among a lot of people who were all watching football. And um, what I learned I ended up pitching the seduction of Hillary Rodham to at least 50 drunk football players, uh, football fans. And what I learned was, first off, just my basic desire to entertain people ended up helping me figure out the pitch. Um, but I also learned that I could kind of tell when I had them or not, because it was kind of like pitching a real executive who is nervous because they have their next meeting coming up and how long is this going to take? Um, you're pitching someone who's already a little distracted. And so when you found that you could actually rope them in, when they were actually paying attention to you instead of the game, that's when you knew the pitch was really working. And so I started working all my pitches at Sports Harbor. Um, and 
You know, a lot of people worry about their work getting stolen. I never worry about that. I always think if there's somebody in the world who can do my script better than me, then God bless them. Let them, let them steal it. Um, but I also believe, you know, I saw a bunch of questions come up on the chat about like, how do you break in, right? How do you actually even get the pitch? And you know how you get the pitch? You get the pitch by pitching a hundred floaters, because what ends up happening is at the end of the pitch, they go, that's awesome. And you go, yeah, I'm just trying to get to this person. And eventually one of those hundred floaters is going to know them. And you're going to get, and, and that's, I actually ended up writing a musical with Alain Bublil and Claude Michel Schoenberg. Um, and how did it happen? I pitched a floater at a party. I didn't even know he was their agent. Um, and it was years, a year later, I got a call from him. Um, and so, you know, the, the idea that there's like this big wall that you can't get through, it's just not true. It's just not true. It's just a question of how many doors are you willing to knock on to actually get through and how much risk, how much personal vulnerability are you willing to show? Uh, somebody had chatted in, you can direct message people. You can follow them on Twitter. Um, you can shake your own social network, but don't so shake your social network and say, hey, I'm trying to find a producer because no one's going to help you. Shake your social network and say, hey, I got a script that is perfect for this person because they made this, 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 this. And I just need to find someone who knows their dry cleaner, who knows their assistant, who knows anybody who can make an introduction because I need two minutes of their time. And you'll be shocked at how people actually start to help you. There are also festivals, there are contests. When we can see each other in person again, you can fly across the country, go to, um, you wanna go to small film festivals? Small ones, not Sundance. They have a VIP section at Sundance. Small film festivals where there's no VIP section in beautiful places where executives wanna go. And often you will meet everyone you want to meet. Karen is smiling because you will meet everyone you want to meet at the bar <laughs> because there's no VIP section and you can actually research where are the people you're trying to get to, where are they speaking? And you can go find them. So the, the barrier to entry, the barrier to getting your movie made, that's a challenge. The barrier to entry though is not as hard as, as it sounds. And it starts with finding like Lacey's talking about that personal confidence and then learning how to make yourself vulnerable and put your stuff out there with lots and lots and lots of people. Um, just so you all know, I also saw some questions coming out like, are we going to get to pitch? Are we going to demo this stuff? And I promise we are. I want to get this good information into you first. And then we're going to break you into rooms with our mentors so that you can get feedback, and then we're going to do a mix and match where we get to pitch one-on-one. -on -one. So there are going to be lots of pitching opportunities for you all. Um, the next person I want to introduce you to is Linda Roberts. Uh, Linda comes to screenwriting from such an interesting background. She was a senior production editor at Simon & Schuster for 15 years. Um, she's edited everyone. She's edited famous authors, famous novelists, famous memoirists, famous nonfiction writers, famous playwrights, and famous screenwriters. And um, when she made the transition into screenwriting, she brought, she brings an eye that I, there's just nobody else in the world who has this eye. 
um, because there's nobody else in the world who has that completely unique background. Linda is our resident formatting guru. When I have a question about how do I format this, I ask Linda. Um, and you know what I love about the way Linda approaches formatting is she's not approaching it like a bunch of grammar. She's approaching it like an editor. She's approaching it like a hypnotist. She's approaching it saying, how do we hypnotize the reader with the way that we put these words on, our, on, on the page? How can you put the word, how are the words on the page in your script like a poem? How are they controlling the rhythm, the tone, conjuring the images in the person's mind? She has this extraordinary attention to detail that, that I so admire. And, and what she has that's so unique is while she has this incredible intellect, right? And this incredible uh, focus on craft, she also teaches meditative writing at our school, um, which is the exact opposite side. When you shut your conscious mind off and you get underneath the surface and in connection with your subconscious mind. So Linda, I would love for you to talk a little bit about the programs that, that you teach and, and what some of your advice about pitching is. Sure, thanks, Jake. Um, thank you all for being here. This is really, this is a huge event. I'm so excited. I, I mean, I thought it was gonna be such a small thing, like, yeah, hey, we'd get here a few pitches, but wow, this is, this is really incredible. This is great. Um, so I just wanna say that, um, well, well, first I'll say what I do at the studio. I, I do teach a lot of ProTrack um, mentorship, and I really love doing that. I just love working one-on-one -on -one with, with writers. Um, I work with playwrights, novelists, screenwriters, TV writers, um, musical writers, um, poets, pretty much any, any writing project that you want to work on one-on-one. -on -one. If you're committed to completing your writing goal for that, for that particular project. Um, mentorship is the best way to do it because it's just you. It's all about you and you work at your own pace. Um, you deal with your own writing problems. Sometimes uh, it seems that life problems become writing problems. Um, so we can you know, work with that and sort that out and find out what you're really struggling with. But it's always about moving you forward to meet your writing goal, to complete the project and, you know, obviously get it out into the market and get it published or produced, whatever it is you're working on. Um, I also teach a workshop on Monday nights and I love doing that too. It's really, really amazing to have such a diverse group of people, different writers with all different um, projects and goals and different styles, different training. And it feels kind of chaotic sometimes. And it makes me wonder, how are we going to make this work? But it does, because we all have the same overall goal of we want to grow as writers. And we inspire each other. We help each other. Um, and just sometimes the smallest little thing somebody can say in their, in their notes to you about your script uh, that will just, you know, light you up and inspire you to keep going. Uh, so it's really about inspiration and encouragement and, you know, growing, growing as a writer. And also the community of having, having a group of, of, of writers in a community that you feel connected to, because it's very isolating, even more so now at this time that we're living through. But it's very isolating to feel like you're, 
you're doing it alone and does anybody care? Does anyone uh, understand what you're going through? Yes, we do. We do. Your community is there for you. So that's important. And pitching, I'd love to share a story with you, uh, something I experienced. Um, uh, My first script that I was working on with Jake, I was, I hated pitching, of course. And um, I pitched it to everybody I know, my gynecologist, my dentist, my neighbors, my roommates, my ex-boyfriends, everybody. I pitched it, uh, and it, and the story was so sad that I, I cried when I was pitching it. So I knew that was not right. I wasn't getting the right response. So I kept pitching it to like another 50 people, and I pitched it until I got to the point where I could pitch it without crying. And then I noticed that I was getting response in them, that they were moved to tears because I didn't need them to think, oh, well, she's going to be crazy to work with. I don't, you know, I don't want a crying writer. Um, But I pitched it until I was able to give them my story, just share it and be myself and feel relaxed about it because I knew my character really well. I knew her story really, really well. Um, So I think that that was really helpful. It is is true. You need to pitch it to everybody. You can't just pitch it once or twice and say, okay, good. I'll be fine. I'll just go in and pitch it again and I'll be fine. You won't be fine. You've got to do it over and over. So many writers are are like, you know, we set set ourselves up. I remember I did this early in my career. It was like, I either get this or I give up, you know, like we so, so often we're like, we put all the stakes on this one meeting, you know, and and this is a volume business. And and not only that, um, this is a relationship business. Uh, One of my very good friends um, had been trying to get into, she's a brilliant director and she had been trying to get into HBO for years. Tried everything, every connection, couldn't get in, couldn't get in, couldn't get in. Finally, she won this fellowship uh, with HBO and she's finally in. And she says, I've been trying to get in here for years. And they said, yeah, we know, we know who you are. they were actually looking, they were following her career. They were tracking her longevity. They wanted to see if she was going to stay with it and if she was going to grow and if she was going to keep making stuff. And so, you know, it's important to realize, you know, most people are going to say no to your script. Just like, you know, when you're flicking through Netflix, you're like, no, no, no. No. And that's not because you hate the idea or it's just, you don't feel like it today. You're not in the mood. You know, it's not a personal thing. Um, but one of the things that, that you can learn and, and is that you can build a connection with someone who's saying no. And that that person might actually be the person who introduces you to the person who ends up saying yes. And if you do that with a hundred people, you're going to have a hundred people who could potentially help you. And, and oftentimes those are not the big people. You know, everyone wants to pitch Steven Spielberg, but the chances of Steven Spielberg saying yes to you are very slim. But if you go to Sundance and you talk to the person who just had their first movie show at Sundance, well, that person's just a couple levels above you. 
And their producer, maybe this is their first movie or their second movie or their third movie. Like these are, you want the young agent, the, the manager who's look hungry and looking for, for new talent. And so, so remembering that, that this is a relationship business, right? And that a no to your pitch is not a bad thing. In fact, one of the things I used to do, and Linda's talking about reading the person, right? And figuring out what's working, what's not. One of the things I used to do, like if I was pitching somebody and I saw like the look on their face, <laughs> I would go, wow, is this project not for you? I would just name it. And there would always be like a sigh of relief. And they'd be like, no, you know, I, I make zombie movies, dude, you know? <laughs> and then I know, oh, okay, cool. Well, let's talk about what you're looking for. You know, or, or sometimes they would be like, you know, uh, well, no, I'm sorry. My dog died this morning, you know, like, and you'd actually form a, a, a human connection with the person. Um, and I also learned that oftentimes if someone said no, you know, at first I had the instinct to kind of jam it down their throat, you know, no, this is the right project. And what I learned was when someone said no, I would just kind of go, okay, I get it. It's totally not for you. Hey, can I pick your brain for two minutes? Mm -hmm. And I'd say, just two minutes, like, I get this is not for you. But I also know that this is, the, pro the script is really good. I've done the work. I've, I've gotten feedback. I know the script works. I know people are going to make money on it because it's like this movie, this movie, this movie. They're my cops that made this much, this much, this much. I know someone's going to make money. And I get that it's not for you. But if you were in my shoes, who would you bring it to? And then you shut up because whoever talks next loses. Um, but often they would go, you know, mm, maybe, you know, maybe I bring it to Netflix. And then you go, oh, do you know anyone over there? Who, who's good over there? Who do you think would respond to it? Well, you know, maybe Stacy, you know, and then, and then you ask one last question, which is, can I mention your name when I call? Just, can I mention your name when I call? And oftentimes they will say yes. And now the next person you're calling is not a cold call. The next person you're calling is a warm call. And so, um, and that all starts with, with what, what Linda's talking about, right? which is building that personal connection. Because if all you do is try to pitch, 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 sell, 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 then you don't build the mentorship relationship. If you try to jam something down to someone's, and have you ever been to the gap and all you want to do is buy jeans and then the helpful salesman comes over and you're like, you know what? Actually, I don't even want jeans, right? Um, because no one likes that feeling of being sold. So if you can calm yourself Practice enough that your emotions are out of it. Treat it like a business, like a, like a volume game. Um, I had one student who decided she was going to collect 100 rejection letters, and she hung them on her wall. And her goal was, I'm going to get 100 rejection letters. Well, guess what? She never got to 100 because she ended up getting optioned, right? But if you get yourself into the volume business, it just makes everything so much easier. Thank you so much, Linda. Yeah. Um, okay, next up, we have Lisa Delmore. Uh, Lisa is um, a Pulitzer finalist um, uh, for her play Detroit, uh, which is on Broadway. Um, she also wrote uh, 
probably my favorite play of the last 20 years, which is a play called The Cataract. Uh, it showed at the, the Women's Project many years ago. Um, uh, and when I wanted to learn uh, more about playwriting, she was the teacher that I sought out. Um, she's been the director of the MFA program at Brown. She's taught at incredible universities throughout the world. If you are a playwright and you don't study with her, you are crazy. Um, and we are so incredibly lucky to have her here at the school. So Lisa, I would love if you would talk a little bit about your playwriting class and, and how do you think about pitching in the theater world? Oh, you're muted, Lisa. There we go. Yes, great. Thank you so much for uh, having me tonight. And uh, I love teaching at the studio. Uh, so I teach ProTrack and most recently I developed a four week class for the studio um, that we'll be holding again. I believe it's starting in February. And um, I teach playwriting. Uh, we, we definitely talk about character and story but I really try to teach playwriting from the perspective of world building and also from using all of the tools that you have in the theater, even things like lighting, setting, and talking a lot about the chemistry and relationship that you have that a play has with the audience um, and thinking about how that can help you create a structure organically um, that can tell your story. There's a, there's, there's a little more leeway when it comes to structure and storytelling in a play than there is in screenwriting. And this in part has to do with that magic relationship between what is happening on stage and with this live audience in front of the play, a live audience when we can return to live audiences. Um, so we, uh, we read two different plays uh, over the course of the class and study the way these plays build their structure and what I like to say, call chemistry. Um, we do in-class writing exercises and there's a chance for students to give each other feedback and to get some feedback from me. Um, so it was a really wonderful journey, the, the last class that we taught. So um, all are welcome to come to the next one in February. Um, I've loved hearing all of these thoughts on pitches. And it is true that um, mostly I have pitched uh, plays to producers and also um, shows that I wanna tour to different places throughout the United States. Um, and what I find is I love this debate around memorize, not memorize, rehearse, not rehearse. Uh, and I really love the idea of rehearsing in many different ways. Uh, before you give your pitch, trying it out in many different styles, many different forms, because I find it's about finding the image or the turn of phrase that you know lands every time. And that image or turn of phrase, it may be the perfect snapshot for your project. It may be the moment that touches the heart. But when you have that kind of grab bag of turns of phrases and images, that it's true, you can bring them out at any time during the pitch. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's okay to be nervous. If you seem a little nervous, that means you're passionate about what you're talking about. Uh, and I also think that it's important to, be, to remember to pause when you need to pause. And that pause may seem like an hour to you, 
but it actually is only going to seem like a second or two to the person that you're talking to. And it allows you to kind of take that breath, recenter yourself in your body, and then continue to talk to the person that you're talking to. So aside from seconding so many of the other things that were said tonight, I just wanted to offer those few um, bits of, of uh, thoughts for you about fishing. I absolutely love that, that idea, you know, because often the two things will happen, or actually three, the first is the breath calms you, mm -hmm. right? So if you're feeling anxious, the breath calms you and it gives you a moment to remember what you want, get your wits together, make your next move. Mm -hmm. The second is the breath shows confidence to the producer. Even if you're feeling so anxious, when you just, it actually sends the signal that you've got this. And that's reassuring to a producer. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is people hate silence. And often when you just shut up for a breath, the producer will ask you a question. Mm, or they will say great. something. Mm -hmm. And now you're out of this weird world where you're like this weird pitching machine. And now you're mm. in a situation that you're really used to, which is talking to somebody, which you have done every day since you were born. Mm -hmm. And about screenwriting or playwriting, about something that you're like the most passionate person in the world about. And not only that, about your piece that you know better than anyone in the world. And so mm. that technique of breath, um, actually I just, I just uh, was a, a, a judge on a pitch fest and uh, mm. prior to the, the, the pitching, um, I met with a student who, brilliant writer who rushed through his pitch and I gave him mm. one note, which was take the breath and control the room. And he ended up winning, he ended up winning. Mm. Um, and it was like a total change in that pitch. So um, using that breath, I, I love that advice. I, I wish you, I would love for you to talk a little bit because you're such a world builder. How do you pitch mm -hmm. world? How do I pitch worlds? Is that what you asked me? I'm sorry, yeah. I just didn't quite hear it. Yes. Oh, great. Well, I'm from the South <laughs> and we like to talk. And uh, so I have to say, I tend to pitch worlds pretty visually. Um, and I like to, uh, I like to try and actually kind of give, give the person I'm talking to a feeling for both the world and the style right up front when I'm talking. Um, and, uh, and kind of paint the picture. I think it would be the best way that I like to say it. Um, I haven't thought specifically about the techniques I use to pitch world. If you were to um, pitch me the world of Detroit or the world of the cataract, like how would you pitch, how would you talk about it? Mm. They're two really different plays. So that's great. Yeah. Uh, I would say that the world of Detroit is um, the world of an isolated Midwestern suburb as though the suburb was an island hovering in the middle of a void. And the characters are afraid that if they leave their suburb, they're just gonna fall off into the void. <laughs> so I hope when I describe the world that way, that you start to picture things like what your idea of a suburb is, 
but also a bit of the existential dread that the four characters in this play are all feeling in different ways. The Cataract is a play that's set in 1883 during the building of a very important bridge across the Mississippi River in Minneapolis. However, it is not your typical history play. It feels a little bit like four characters who are stuck in a colorful diorama and maybe they're actually all um, really robots that are being controlled by um, little clocks and gears inside of them instead of hearts. And they're trying to escape the mechanism that's inside of their body. So again, trying to like paint history play, but not quite history play. Um, so two, was, two very different worlds. That was so incredible. And I'm sure everybody mm -hmm. felt that, right? All she gave you was the world. And you instantly knew what the play was, right? You instantly knew what the play felt like. You instantly knew what you were going to experience. Thank you so much for that, Lisa. That's a, that's, I just want to note, Jacob, that that's a great way to put it, that you instantly how do you how do you pitch what the play or the series or the movie is going to feel like? Yeah. And you really know that. You don't even have to try. You as the creator just innately know that. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Mm -hmm. All right. Next up, we have Ron Mars. Ron Mars, if you know anything about comics, you know who Ron Mars is. He's a legendary comic writer. He's written every famous comic, comic book character that you could imagine. And, um, and in, in addition to just being an extraordinary writer, he's also an extraordinary teacher. Um, and uh, one of the things that I really loved, uh, we just recently brought uh, Ron onto the team. And one of the things that, that I loved was Ron's desire to help students instantly start creating, start making their comics. Um, and out of his class, we have started to see students come back with these beautiful six page comments that comics that they created, that they wrote in four weeks and hired illustrators and had made. Um, and in fact, we're so excited about it. We're going to be building on it in the new year and actually starting to build a, an illustration side where we can actually pair new illustrators with with new comic book writers and, and, and help them produce their work. And, and what's so fun about comics is not only are comics a wonderful entree into the screenwriting world, they're also a way of learning the craft of screenwriting, learning how to use your, uh, your, your images in, in such a powerful way. Um, so Ron, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you teach and, and how you think about pitching. Uh, thanks, Jake. I appreciate it. You, you, you flatter me, which is really why I showed up. So, uh, <laughs> um, so what we what we do in in the classes that I do, uh, we do a four week class that is designed to teach everybody who shows up the nuts and bolts of writing a comic. Because writing a comic is it's not like screenwriting. It's not like a teleplay. It's not like a play. It has elements of all of those, but it's this sort of weird amalgamation of all of those things, plus other skills. It's, it's visual storytelling. So, um, so you have to be sort of half of the writer and half of the director of your own, your own uh, comic script. So um, in the four week class, we do 
uh, everybody learns how to write a comic, basically. We, we do a six-page comic from beginning to end in the four weeks, and everybody walks out with a, a pretty polished comic, I think. And then we do, we do a workshop as well, where some of the students go on to um, bring their projects into the workshop, and then we all, we all work on them and give feedback and polish them. And we've got a really terrific workshop right now where I think we're getting some really good material out of it. Um, and then there's, there's ProTrack as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so pitching in comics is, is, well, like I said, comics has a screenwriting aspect and a teleplay aspect and a playwriting aspect, um, but it's different from all of those. But it, it's interesting to me that everybody, who, everybody who's spoken already, like um, Karen talking about The Boys, well, The Boys was a comic uh, and it was made by two buddies of mine. Um, so the... the um, so the the comic formed the foundation for what that TV series is, and obviously the comic reached an audience and it was popular. But now you know it's it's kind of a worldwide phenomenon that it's uh, that it's moved into into television. Um, so pitching in comics is a little different than you know this typical meeting pitch that you do for film. Um, pitching for comics is generally more of a written skill. Um, and you, you want to be able to hand over at any point um, when an editor says, yeah, we're looking for pitches. What do you got? Um, kind of a one page with a log line and a summation of what your story is and why they should think about publishing it. So it's, it's very, um, you have to make a good impression in a very short span. Um, and the other half of that is this is a very social business like any other business. Um, so you will you will meet editors in the in those halcyon days of yore when we could have comic book conventions and all and have a lot of us crammed into the same building somewhere uh, into the Javits Center on the west side. Um, part of that whole process is meeting editors and meeting publishers and talking about what kind of stories you want to do. Um, so you need to be able to talk about your stories and pitch them verbally sort of on the spot, but it's much less of a uh, formalized meeting like you would have for a pitch meeting at a studio. Um, so um, you need to be able to do both of those. And you also need to be able to understand who your audience is because different publishers do different comics. You don't go to Marvel and pitch them your um, historical epic, your historical epic might be awesome, but that's not what Marvel does. If anybody's paying attention to paying attention to what Marvel does, um, in fact, right now, and has been announcing projects all through the day, Marvel does Marvel books, and Marvel does Star Wars books, and now Marvel does, you know, Aliens books. Marvel does what they own. DC does what they own. So your... Um, your pitch, the first step of it is to go to the right place. If you've got a horror pitch, you figure out what publishers actually do horror books because they're, that gives you one leg up already. Um, and it also saves you from wasting time going to you know somebody that does YA fiction and graphic novels um, and you want to pitch them your, your very adult horror concept. Well, that's not what they do. You're wasting your time and you're wasting their time. So um, you want to be able to, to hone your pitches so that you're giving them to the right people. And then unfortunately, you want to be able to go, okay, well, 
that wasn't, you know, this one didn't land like any place else. Um, you send in your pitches uh, or you have a discussion with an editor, send in the pitch and it doesn't go anywhere. That's part of the process. Um, the, you know, the old chestnut is that you have to be uh, prepared for rejection. And it's true. Um, but rejection doesn't mean they're rejecting you or even they're rejecting your story right now. Um, they're rejecting the thing that you're pitching them right now at this moment. Um, I'm doing right now, I'm doing two different uh, serialized stories for heavy metal magazine, which is the sort of the, the granddaddy of all the, uh, you know, comic anthology magazines. Both of those stories have been rolling around in my head for 15 years and I pitched them to any number of publishers and they found no takers. Um, heavy metal came to me a few months ago and said, what do you got? So I gave them those and they went, awesome. Uh, I gave them three pitches, I think. And I said, awesome, we'll take these two. Uh, so um, your pitch doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to find the audience right out of the gate. It could be years for that same pitch to find purchase somewhere, but they eventually do. I, I love so much of what you said. And I think the thing I'd love to hop in on is this idea of knowing who you're pitching. Um, you know, I talked about that used car salesman feeling that some of us get when we're trying to sell. And, you know, my rule of thumb, cause you know, I, when I, I got a job as a producer somehow, I don't know how, cause I had terrible social anxiety and I was afraid to call people. Um, and I was afraid to talk to people at a party and, you know, I was much more comfortable as a writer than I was, you know, trying to have to introduce myself to somebody that was terrifying. And the idea of selling was like, ah. and somehow I'm a producer. So I have to do these things. And I reached a point where I just decided I'm not ever going to try to sell anybody ever again. Like, I'm just not going to try to convince anybody. I'm not going to try to sell anybody, but what I am going to try to do is I'm going to try to find my tribe. And not everybody is my tribe. Um, the, the people in this room, they're my tribe. Um, but not everybody is my tribe. And that's okay. And I'm not everybody's tribe. And that's okay. But my idea was, if instead of trying to sell something, I just focus on looking for my tribe. And instead of trying to sell something, I just try to concentrate on helping people. Then I could feel like myself when I went up and introduced myself or when I had to pick up the phone. And because I'm really good at helping people. And so the truth is, if your script is really ready, if your script is really ready, that means you have really done the work. You've gotten professional feedback. You know this thing is ready. When people read it, they say back to you the things that you wish they would say. Um, when you know your script is really ready, you have something really rare. It's so rare that you hear a script that's ready to go. And, um, and I could say that in my experience as a producer, if I heard a hundred pitches, one of them was ready to go. And you could tell from the pitch that the script wasn't ready. And so, but if you go, okay, first I'm going to do the real work as a writer and I'm going to actually make sure my, my script is, is, it's a Lamborghini. It's not like a Dodge with, with the tire falling out. It's a Lamborghini. 
Well, you don't have to talk anyone into a Lamborghini. Somebody either wants a Lamborghini or they don't want a Lamborghini. Family of five, they don't want the Lamborghini. <laughs> Middle-aged man whose wife just left him definitely wants the Lamborghini. <laughs> um, and then it's just a question of can they afford the Lamborghini? And so if you really just put your focus on what did they need and how can I help and who's my tribe, it is going to help you so much. Um, and uh, and so, so I, I really love what you said about that. And, I, and I'm glad that you reiterated this idea, like this is a relationships. Nobody, unless you're, unless you're Ron Mars, and you're at that point in your career, or you're an Aaron Sorkin, right? Unless you're at that level in your industry, you can't sell a pitch in the room. Not now, maybe in the 90s. Not now. You, you're going to, in the room, you're going to open the door and someone's going to say, yes, I'd like to read that. Yes, I'd like to consider that. Yes, maybe I'd like to work with you in the future. So... Thank you, Ron, for sharing that. There's one more teacher I want to introduce you to, and then we're going to do some pitching. Um, so Stephen Bagaturian, um, here's how Stephen came to my studio. I reached out to, I was looking to hire some new teachers, um, and I reached out to an independent producer friend, and I said, can you recommend somebody to me? I need somebody with a huge heart who can hold a student's soul in their hand, but who also has incredible writing jobs. And he said, uh, you have to meet Stephen Bagatorian. Stephen Bagatorian wrote the best script I've ever read. And he's the kindest man you'll ever meet. And that's how I met Stephen. And it turned out that he was undersold. Um, uh, he is an extraordinary writer. Um, he has... Um, he, uh, uh, he's written huge studio movies. Um, he's uh, blowing up in his career, which makes me so happy. He's written independent films and we're really, really lucky to have him. And he'll be the last person to speak to you. So Steven, I'd love for you to talk about what you teach at the studio and, um, and your advice about pitching. Yeah, I would be happy to. Um... First of all, uh, thank you very much, Jake, for the lovely intro. I wish, wish I could bring you around with me everywhere to introduce me to people. Um, and uh, secondly, uh, I'm going to apologize if I'm a little bit more low energy tonight than I might typically be because I'm getting over a bit of a cold. So I'm just feeling like, man, eh, just not, not 100%. But I will uh, do my best to talk about what I teach at the school uh, briefly, because I know we're, we're running a bit late on time. Um, I teach uh, ProTrack, where I work one-on-one uh, -on -one with a bunch of writers, and it's a terrific experience. Um, I love doing it, and um, I think I bring a fairly unique perspective and approach to screenwriting. Um, and I also teach a workshop uh, on Mondays, that I've been teaching for the last year at the workshop uh, at the school. Um, and we meet every two weeks. Um, now, just to tell you guys a little bit about my approach, um, I think I probably would echo a little bit of what I heard uh, Keaton say earlier. Um, I would describe myself as a very character-focused writer. 
Uh, I'm not someone who spends a lot of time talking about plot when I'm teaching. And um, so I, I teach classes that are really very, very much all about defining character and how to write indelible, unforgettable, like incredible characters that will rip people's hearts out. And also like will rip your own heart out and hopefully are speaking to something really deeply inside yourself. And the more they do that, the more, you know, I find that the stories and the characters will, will connect and resonate with people um, who read them also on a really deep level. Uh, so that's, uh, that's what I do. That's what I teach here at the school. And um, uh, do you want me to talk just uh, for a second about pitching too? I would love that, yes. Okay. So I think that I'm a little bit of a mutant, uh, perhaps as a screenwriter, because I really enjoy pitching. And it's one of my favorite parts of the process. Um, I actually get really sad when I don't get to go pitch on projects uh, for a while. Because um, it's, uh, it's a performance, and, but it's also storytelling in like the oldest sense of the word. The oldest sense of the word. It's like you're, you're getting everybody gathered around the proverbial campfire and you're trying to just hold people's attention with, with your words. And so for me, it feels very much like the most pure distillation, like crystallization of what we do. It's like pure storytelling, you know? And I think there's something really uh, powerful about that if you can master it. And I don't think that uh, any two writers can master pitching the same way. I agree with, um, I think something you said, Jake, earlier, and I'm sure several other people said similar things. You have to be yourself and you have to figure out how to pitch in the most honest, like profound way that you can pitch. And if you're like a shy, nerdy, geeky person, you should be a shy, nerdy, geeky person in your pitch and make that work for you. You know, there's been plenty of filmmakers and, you know, plenty of uh, writers throughout history that have highly eccentric personalities, but they make it work for them. So you have to figure out how to own your personality, command your space, and just really enjoy that process. Uh, because pitching is actually a lot of fun. And one of the dirty little secrets I think about screenwriting is that... Um, when you have a career as a screenwriter, uh, particularly as a feature writer, but also on the TV side, you don't get to just write your own stuff most of the time. You know, the majority of your career, if you're lucky and you have a career, you know, 99% of what you work on frequently, particularly in features, it's going to be stories that you get hired on assignment to write. And guess how you get an assignment? You have to walk in and pitch. You have to pitch your take. And so I think that's something we haven't really touched on here tonight, but it's not just about pitching your story. Um, it's, about, it's about pitching your story, your original stories. It's about pitching yourself as a creative person, as a writer. But really, frankly, the majority of your career, in my experience, is going to be pitching assignments and ideas that get thrown to you by circumstance and fate in the world of Hollywood and you got to figure out how to apply all that passion and your personality to an idea that you might have just got thrown at you 24 hours earlier and figure out how to wrap that up into a pitch. And how then do you do it, Stephen? How do you do that? Yeah. I mean, I would, uh, I would echo um, very much what uh, Lacey said about not being too precious. I think it's, you know... It's very natural and everybody as a screenwriter tends to psych themselves out. And we all, we all tend to have rich, you know, perhaps especially rich inner lives because we're constantly thinking of stories and whatnot. And we, we're, we're especially neurotic in a lot of ways, you know, and so we psych ourselves out. But like, really, you know, like, like you mentioned too, Jake, if you can just connect with people as human beings and build rapport and learn to build rapport with another person, you know, you're not 
fucking selling something. You're walking in trying to just build a connection with a person. And then once you have that, just have fun with it. And I, I got some great advice from one of my writing mentors when I got in the business a long time ago. And he said to me, when it came to pitching, always have a really strong fucking take. Walk in there and believe in what you're saying so deeply that you are not going to be budged or moved off of your pitch. And you walk in there, essentially, um, you know, I heard someone else say it once as if you're offering them like a bag full of money. It's like you consider your story as like a hundred million dollars in a bag and you're offering it to people and offer it to them with that same confidence. And if they don't want it, then you could just be like, well, fine, you know, that's cool. You know, I'll walk out of here with my $100 million bag and I'll go see if someone else wants it. But don't get sad. Don't get nervous. And if you think that you're losing someone in a pitch, like certainly you adjust, but take big, big fucking swings. Just take huge swings because um, what it is, is like taking big swings won't get you every job, but I guarantee you it'll get you some jobs. And taking like mediocre, wishy-washy swings will get you zero jobs and you will not have a career. So for me, that's kind of what it comes down to is just like, have fun with it. And yeah, you're going to strike out a bunch, but that's okay. Screenwriting is like baseball. If you strike out seven out of 10 times, you're a legend in screenwriting, you know? So don't worry about it. You're going to strike out most of the time, have fun with it, be yourself and just go for broke. One of the most talented actors I ever got to work with as a director is actually Lisa's brother, Todd Dunmore. And uh, what I loved about working with Todd, when you were in rehearsal with Todd, you never knew what he was going to do. But it was always going to be a choice you never could have thought of yourself. And it was going to work it was if he if it worked, it was a grand slam every time. And if it didn't work, what was incredible with Todd was he could adjust. You could be like, I like that. That didn't work. And he'd be like, but 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 but. And he would start to build on that thing that worked. And so um, if you think about, you know, what I love what you just said, Stephen, because you know, part of it is just having the courage to go, okay, like. What matters to me in this? And if I get rid of everything that doesn't matter, like what matters to me? And if I, what if I just, if I just went as wild as I want to go with this, what, what would that look like? Um, or as quiet as I want it. There was one scene I'll never forget. Todd did the entire scene and he did not move. And somehow it worked, you know? And it was like, everything you're not supposed to do as an actor, you're supposed to have action. And be, like, it was he just stood there and it freaking worked. And so, you know, it all comes back to this, this authenticity, you know, it's like, um, you can make anything good. You know, someone pitches you the hungry, hungry hippos movie. There's something in you in it, you know, okay. There's work for us. I, that's my imagined. So I'm probably doomed to write it. Like the worst movie someone could make me write would be the hungry, hungry hippos movie. Um, and, uh, but you could start to think like, Oh, well, What's it really about? You know, like, is it about nostalgia? You know, is it about hunger? Is it about there's just not enough marbles for everybody? You know, is it about like, I'm stuck here in one place, you know, and everyone's wailing on me and I feel like I can't move? What would happen if the little hungry, hungry hippos broke free and went on an adventure outside of the game board? So 
you're looking for like what matters to you. And then like, what's the most fun thing you can do with what matters to you? And since we're kind of transitioning into my turn, what I'd love to say is like, that relates to life too. You know, is we spend so much of our lives trying to like fit in and be normal, right? And trying to do it the way everybody else does and trying to get the right advice. And, you know, you just heard for the last two hours from the most brilliant writers that I know. And you notice everybody's different. Everybody has their own take. Everybody has their own style. There's not one way to do it, but everybody came at you with tremendous authenticity. And so it's about finding your authenticity and your way. Um, what we're going to do now, uh, let me tell you briefly about me. I'm Jacob Kruger. This is my school. It's also my baby. Um, and uh, I'm blessed in that I get to do the thing that I love most in the world every single day, um, which is teach. And um, the, the, the goal of the school, you've heard a lot of people talk about ProTrack and workshops. Um, the goal of the school, I've always had a big problem with the grad schools. And it started when I was a, a filmmaker, a, a producer, and I would read scripts from grad school students that had just racked up $300,000 of debt learning how to write scripts. And I would read scripts that professors loved, but in fact, there was a period where I stopped reading scripts from Columbia University because they were all the same, 5,000 film references and no character. And, and I, felt, I felt bad for those students. Um, and I also went through a very rough mentorship relationship. Uh, the person who taught me everything that I know about screenwriting um, was probably the worst person that I've ever met in my life. Uh, we had a kind of whiplash relationship. Um, and he, he made me the writer I, I am, but he also took things away from me that I struggled for the rest of my life to get back. And when I created this school, you know, my, my dream was to take that grad school model and that mentorship model that I had had and try to turn it inside out and try to give people the same valuable knowledge without the abuse, you know, in a world that honored, that honored the individual, honored the individual's voice um, and in a supportive environment. And then on the education side, I always felt like um, colleges were doing the exact wrong thing, which was two years, three years of bliss. And then you graduate with $300,000 of debt and you can't afford to be a writer because you got to get a big job to pay off your debt. And so the ProTrack and the workshop programs that you've heard about, the goal of them is instead of giving you two years and then you're out on your own to give you a lifelong experience where you can actually get mentorship for your whole life without going into debt, without quitting your day job at a tiny fraction of the cost of, of, um, of grad school. Um, and it's why we're so serious about our scholarship programs. We're the most affordable place that you can study with people like this but if we're not affordable for you, 
then all you have to do is talk to us and we will do everything we can because that is our mission. Our mission is to empower artists. Um, and that's my dream. And I'm so grateful for all these incredible people around me who make this possible and you are my tribe. And in sharing this with you, um, I wanna show that I'm also teaching you how to pitch because this is what a pitch is. A pitch is not a way of selling people. A pitch is a way of sharing who you are and looking for your tribe. And if you put yourself out there, the people who are your tribe will join you. And so when you pitch, don't come in pitching, come in sharing. Share something personal about yourself that's true just like I shared that with you and use that to help people understand why you're doing what you're doing, why you're, why you're writing the script that you're writing, why you're the one person in the world who should do this. And you won't have to say I'm the one person in the world who should do this because once you've told that personal story, you know why I created the studio. You know why I can't stop adding classes and teachers and building, you know, why this is my mission, right? So, Start with that one personal thing and then give them just a little bit, just enough to kind of understand how it works in your story. And if they are your tribe, they will start to ask you questions. They will start to want to know more and you will start to build connections and community. If you're enjoying this podcast and it's helping your writing, then come study with me. You can do it for free every Thursday night as part of our Quarantinis program, where a faculty member and I do a deep dive into some aspect of screenwriting, share a writing exercise with our fabulous community of screenwriters, and even give a little bit of feedback. It's a really wonderful experience. It's free or by donation, and all donations that are made are supporting our COVID scholarship fund where we've given away over $98,000 of scholarships since March to help our students who have been affected by the crisis afford our classes and afford to be able to continue in our program. So if you'd like to be a part of that, then come join us. It's every Thursday night, writeyourscreenplay.com slash quarantinis.